This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is John Suzuki, CEO of BK Technologies Corporation. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is BKTI on the NYSE American. BK Technologies Corporation, through its operating subsidiaries, manufactures high specification, American-made communications equipment of unsurpassed reliability and value for use by public safety professionals and government agencies. BK Technologies' SaaS business focuses on new, innovative, public safety smartphone services that will make the first responders safer or more productive. BK Technologies participated at our event in Las Vegas in April 2023, and as host, I was running around, didn't get a chance to hear their Q&A with Scott Weiss from Semco Capital Live, but did have a chance to listen to it on our YouTube channel. After watching that, I invited CEO John Suzuki on to better understand what the land mobile radio competitive landscape looks like, who BK Technologies competes with, their focus on providing radio communications for the wildland fires market, and how they're looking to expand to more verticals, how folks should think about their financial performance, specifically regarding gross margins, and why radios are still a viable technology that folks use and need. With that, please enjoy my conversation with John Suzuki, CEO of BK Technologies. John, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? And good afternoon, Bobby. Thanks for uh, having me on your show. Appreciate it very much. Absolutely. It's great to have you on. You know, uh, BK, you guys just uh, presented at our event in Vegas. And, um, you know, I, 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 you did that fireside chat with Scott. And Scott was like, dude, you should have him on the, the podcast and learn a little bit further, you know, because I'm running around like a nut job hosting these things. So I didn't get a chance to hear the whole thing. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for the opportunity here. So, you know, to start us off, this is a question I ask everybody on here uh, as a first question. You know, if you were to describe BK Technologies in one line, how would you describe the company? Well, I can tell you what, what we do, right? We design and manufacture wireless radio communications equipment for the public safety market. In terms of uh, the company, we've been in business for you know seventy years. Perfect. Hey, that's that's a that's a pretty solid one line right there. I I had one that I I think uh, land mobile radio devices to the emergency and first responder market. So. You know, I think uh, I think that all works pretty well. So let's get a history of the company. You know, as you said, the company's been around for seventy years. You know, I, from from your understanding, you know, looking back at the history, what would you say was the original thesis for the company's founding, and then maybe catch us up to twenty twenty three and how how we exist today? Yeah, I would say for the majority of the history of the company, the company has been focused in one segment of the public safety market. Uh, that segment is known as wildland fire. So, you know, especially today, um, turn on the TV, the terrible incident in, in Hawaii where uh, wildland fire engulfed uh, a community. Uh, this is the type of market that we we have been servicing uh, for the majority of the history of the company. So 
every year, 50 or 60,000 firefighters and support staff uh, fight these wildland fires throughout the country. Um, and BK provides the uh, radio communications uh, to these first responders. Yeah, no, I mean, just that, that was something I was going to bring up a little bit later, but we might as well tackle it right now. I mean, you know, this the wildfires has been unfortunately just a more re- reoccurring occurrence, <laughs> a reoccurring experience. I, I'm I'm out in in, uh, in the suburb of Los Angeles. You know, that's something that we think about on a yearly basis of like, okay, you know, we're right on the road off of where that the big Malibu fire was that that engulfed. Um, I think that was in 2018. You know, so that's something that we think about quite a bit. But you know, from just thinking about it from a business perspective with regard to BK, you know, why? Are, is your product suite really well suited to serve when these fire for these emergency responders for when these fires break out? No, that's a that's a fair question, uh, Bobby. So I, I think that goes back to the original um, mission of the company. We seem to have focused on these uh, firefighters. So you know, I'll give you an example <clears throat> of some of the unique requirements. Right when you're in the middle of nowhere in California, they're fighting a fire. So you get drill literally dropped in. Um, um, having uh, AC power is not something, it's a, like a luxury. It's not something that you would have. If you're on the fire line, especially, there is no AC outlet that you can go plug in your, your radio and, and get a recharge from. And so one of the unique features of, of a wildland fire radio is to be able to work using a, um, a AA alkaline battery pack. And so um, battery Disposable batteries is the mainstay for powering radios for wildland fire. That's very unique. Um, if you look at firefighters in um, in uh, urban centers, suburban centers, I mean, they go home and they recharge their batteries. Um, they have rechargeable batteries, and that's more normal in our industry. So that one unique feature um, was a was a key differentiator, and we were one of those manufacturers. Who are willing to design a, an alkaline battery pack? A second good example is um, with wildland fire, it moves right, and you you see that in the state of Hawaii more recently, the power of these of these fires and the speed at which they can they can engulf a, a community or 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 acres of land is extremely fast. Well, you need to have communications over the area that you have these first responders operating. And one day the fire could be in one location, but literally the next day it could be 20 or 30 miles away. And so every day during during a wildfire, they're always updating their communication plan so that the first responders have a, a new set of radio frequencies that they could operate on. BK developed a technology which allowed the speedy um, uh, cloning of these radio frequencies from device to device. It's it's called uh, radio cloning. And that's, again, a very unique feature for, for the land mobile radio markets, very specific to wildland fire. And uh, BK... Uh, BK was was a pioneer in that in that technology. And now over the years, 40 years plus, right, we have generations of radios. We have about 250,000 radios out there. And uh, this technology only works between uh, BK radios. So uh, that's given us a, a very strong position in this particular market. But those are two examples of technologies that you wouldn't see in normal uh, first responder radios. 
hundred percent. And, you know, in thinking about that, and that makes all the sense in the world, right? Like you, you would think that, you know, um, these agencies would want to use the, you know, have the best equipment possible in order to enable the, you know, the highest quality communication between, you know, between first responders, as well as back to home base to make sure that everything is, you know, everybody's on the same page here. But when you think about the competitive landscape, you know, I can, I'm sure some of the, you know, folks that might look at BK and think like, all right, okay, we hear that, you know, the technology mode here that you have, but at the end of the day, we're talking about radios, like are, you know, the same folks that you're trying to sell into, are they just trying to get, you know, what they need, you know, the at the lowest cost pro- possible? So can you tell us a little bit about the dynamics of the customer base that you're selling into and how BK just wins out over some of your competitors out there? Well, at first, I'd say we have about 95 percent of that market, wildland fire market. It's just not a it's just not a big market. Uh, as it relates to the $2.3 billion radio market in the U.S., um, it's it's quite small. Um, and, and again, the, the reason why we, we own that market uh, primarily is because of this cloning technology. Um, initially, you know, when we started selling into the market, it was uh, designing a radio that was more suited for wildland fire and how they use the radios, the clamshell battery was a, a great example. They couldn't use rechargeable batteries. Um, and we were one of the first to pioneer that. I think that established us as a supplier for wildland fire for the uniqueness of their application. And then the uh, cloning technology is really, is what kept us in the game because you have generations of radios. You know, these radios last 10, 15 years. And in some cases we have customers that have our radios that are 20 years old. Um, and so when you're dealing with multiple generations of radios, the ability for that technology to be uh, common amongst those uh, of those generations and be able to communicate, I think is a key reason. Again, this cloning technology is only uh, applicable between BK radios. So a competitor coming in, he's got a huge uh, disadvantage because of the 250,000 radios we have embedded in the field, which is the majority of the radios for wildland fire in the U.S., Absolutely. You know, speaking to the, you know, to your customer base that are already customers of BK Technologies, what's the, what's the re, the rebuying rate, right? Like how often are they getting new radios or what is there, is there a recurring aspect to, to at least on the hardware side? Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we shipped, um, I think it was around 25,000 radios uh, last year, this year it's 32 to 36. So we've seen a huge increase and we can talk about why that's the case. But if you think about it, right, um, if we've got about 250,000 radios in the field, these things last about 10 years, just a refrain of the fleet, you're talking about 25,000 radios a year. Sometimes this could be a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, but that's where you, you kind of get it. This year's or this this year and, and and the end of last year is a little bit different. And that's because of the new series radios that we have uh, introduced and the broader market appeal outside of wildland fire. So we're we're tapping into these broader markets. Let's talk about that a little bit. You know, what are the broader markets that you're getting into, and you know, tell us how that how it's been progressing. Yeah. So um, again, the U.S. market is about two point three billion dollars. Uh, to put that in context, it's about six or six, six or seven hundred thousand radios that are sold every year. 
Um, last year we shipped uh, 25,000. This year it's 32 to 36. So pretty small number in comparison to the no total number of radio shipped um, in this marketplace. I think the um, I think the uh, the difference that we're seeing is in the new series radios that we developed. So about four or five years ago, the board uh, was asking some similar questions you're asking, right? You, you guys all have radios. Why can't we sell radios into the broader market? And it was mainly because the radios were very much designed for wildland fire, which was great. But it didn't allow us to kind of extend into the broader market space, uh, which is police, law enforcement, structured fire, ambulance. Again, these are our first responders that would operate more in the in the urban and suburban environments. So it's so it's a, it's a completely different environment in which they're operating in. So the question was, is why can't we build one radio that serves both markets? And the answer is, of course we can, it just takes money. And so the last five years, if you look at our expenses on R&D, it's been about 20% of our revenues in R&D. So quite substantial um, overall. But because of that investment, we were able to introduce a whole new set of radios. So the first radio was the BKR 5000 portable. Basically, that was a replacement radio for our wildland fire radio. But again, with the with the foresight that it could be sold into the extended markets, law enforcement, structure fire, etc. We introduced that in the um, latter part of 2020. And 21 was our first year of full sales for that radio. Um, and if you look at the company's financials, um, we actually booked about $55 million in new business in that year, which is a company record, was a company record. And the reason for that was people who had not traditionally bought from us in the past or um, adjacent agencies who understand BK, but are now looking at, hey, maybe we'll use that for the sheriff's office. They started buying radios from us because they felt they, they understood the brand and they and they saw that this radio was... Uh, was a radio that that suited their needs uh, for law enforcement or or structure fire. You extend that forward into um, 2022, we we kind of broke all records. We did about 70 million dollars in new business, and again, that was heavily driven by uh, the BKR 5000. This year, we've introduced a, another new radio, the 9000, which is a which is a I would say a Cadillac type radio. Um, that's really targeted at at these law enforcement structure fired users. It's a what we call an all band radio, and I'll talk a little bit about that and the differences. But basically, if I compare the two devices, the five thousand and the nine thousand, the five thousand addresses maybe fifteen percent of that two point three billion dollar market, whereas the nine thousand addresses the line share or eighty five percent of that overall market. So while we've had great success with the 5,000, and it certainly proved out our thesis that we could sell into markets beyond our traditional markets, um, it's limited in terms of its addressable market. The 9,000, which we just launched um, in June of this year, it, it picks up the balance of the market, about 85% of that market. Um, and we think that it will open up these verticals uh, for us uh, that we have not uh, participated in the past. Yeah, no, I just saw I, I saw in your um your Q2 presentation uh that you just you completed in uh, Q2 2023 the first shipment of the BKR 9000 multi-brand uh band radios to the US Army, right? So yes. yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a logo. 
to put on. It is. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about that first shipment and how this is an example of what you're, you know, trying to capture that other 85% of the market? Yeah, uh, maybe uh, I'll I'll start by explaining the difference between the 5,000 and the 9,000. Of the six or 700,000 radios, majority of them are what we call single band radios. So they operate on one of the four LMR frequency bands and the BKR 5000 uh, falls into that category. And that's the lion's share of the radios sold today are in that in that space. Now, from a, a market standpoint or a first responder standpoint, um, while having a single band radio is great, it operates on their system. The challenge that they have is when they operate perhaps on a state system or an adjacent county system, there's no guarantee that they'll operate in the same frequency band. And so if you if you have a radio that can't operate on that same frequency, excuse me, frequency band, then they can't communicate. The way to kind of look at that is in the early days of cellular, when cellular first came out, um, it was in the 800 megahertz band. And then it just seemed like every six months, there's more and more spectrum allocated to cellular. And you have to keep changing your phone so that it could the phone could could operate in all these different bands. And today you don't really think about it, right? You buy a phone and it operates anywhere. And it's because it's what we call an all-band cell phone. So the 9000 is the same idea. It's a, it's an all-band LMR radio. And the, the tendency is, is that if I had a choice between buying a single-band radio and, a, and an all-band radio, I would buy the all-band radio because I could use it for operating in adjacent counties. Basically, I can go anywhere in the U.S. and operate it, whether it's you know on a wildland fire site or downtown New York. Um, and that's the general concept of it. Very good. So the next topic I wanted to get into um, is now it, clearly margin. It seems like is something that you know both your current stakeholders and probably folks that are looking at BKTI take very seriously when considering adding BKTI or starting to follow it and whatnot. I mean, just on your presentation, I think three slides were just dedicated specifically to talking about, you know, targeting incremental gross margin improvement. So can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, it, it from, it looks like year over year from Q2 2022 to Q2 2023, it very much improved over, you know, about 13%, you know, as well as the net, uh, the net loss going down, you know, year over year looking at that as well. So, Love to better understand that. And then what is your strategy in order to continue to improve uh, gross margin? Yeah, no, thanks for the question, Bobby. Um, like most hardware companies, 22 was an extraordinary year for the global uh, supply, and we we were no exception. Um, we experienced uh, component shortages and price increases uh, throughout the year. I think our, our worst uh, quarter was in Q2 of, of last year where we had 14% gross margins. And a lot, a lot, a lot of that was driven on um, the ability to ship things as well as the cost at which you were paying for parts to ship those products. Um, I would say certainly that was an extraordinary year. Um, previous to that, margin historical margins have been 35, maybe 40%. If you go back in time, and and that's our plan is to get back to those historical margins, but um, but but to, by by twenty five to exceed that, uh, mainly because of the nine thousand and its improved margins uh, of that particular product. So on mix, we think that uh, the core core portfolio will get into that thirty five to forty, and then if you add in the nine thousand, which is a substantially higher 
uh, gross margin radio, the mix of the two will get us into the high 40s, maybe even 50% uh, by 2025. So we've been on a, on a journey, right? I mean, um, certainly trying to get the supply of the components and, and as prices have, have come down, we've seen our, our margins improve from a, at the low of 14% to I think in the last quarter, we were about 27%. Still, still a ways away from the 35 to 40 percent, which is the more historical side. Um, we see improvements uh, in in third and fourth quarter, and as we go throughout next next year, um, some of these improvements are are coming from um, the normalization of that material cost, um, but more importantly, um, it's in our cost improvements. And I'll, I'll just speak to that for for a couple minutes. Um, when we um, introduced the 5000 as an example, uh, we decided that we were going to bring or manufacture that in the US. Um, right, wrong or indifferent, that was a decision that was made. Um, I think that during COVID and post COVID, uh, just the cost of manufacturing in the US has really escalated. And what, what we were thinking we were going to be able to do versus what you can actually do uh, after all the labor increases and shortages and everything else, um, there was definitely a difference. And and we need to uh, take costs out of our radio to get our margins back uh, and normalized. The second part was uh, the legacy radios that we had were um, historically uh, manufactured in Asia. And then again, as part of the insourcing strategy, we decided to bring it to the US. Again, right over COVID, and so the ending uh, uh, product costs that we were seeing were much higher than what we were we were enjoying, I guess, pre-COVID. And again, we had to go through a process of, of taking costs out of these radios. So we have a plan. We have the ability to take costs out of our product. It's just taking a bit of time uh, to get the engineering completed, get the products introduced into the factory. But we expect to be, for, for these series radios, to be back in that 35 to 40% gross margin. And then again, with the 9,000, it's it's uh, comparatively, it's like twice the price of a 5,000. So a 9,000 is, is twice the price. Um, Cost-wise, it's only marginally more expensive. So you're talking a significantly up, uplift on the gross margins. Uh, so the more 9,000 you ship, the higher the mix and the overall uh, gross margins for the company should increase. And that's why we're, we're confident that we can get quarter over quarter uh, gross margin improvements and why we set our target uh, at 50% gross margins uh, for 2025. It's aggressive, but it's, it's doable. Yeah, I like, I like, your, I, I, I gotta say, I like when, when management team, when you put out that type of goal for yourself and you publicly say it and Hey, now, now it's just a matter of execution, right? That's um, right. So, you know, it also seems like part of this story, too, is the launch of a, it, from what I've seen in both in the presentation and in talking with like, you know, with John and stuff, getting, you know, getting prepared for the interview today. It sounds, you know, the company is introducing a, a SaaS solution as well, software as a solution. And we all know that, you know, on the software side, the margins on that are much higher, you know, so that can, you know, help in terms of those, in terms of those goals, you know, but aside from just that incentive, you know, what is the need in this market for a SaaS solution? Can you explain that uh, a little bit further? Yeah, I think um, I think the easiest way is to look at um, what's happened with public safety communications over the last 10 years. So 
Um, up until about 2010, the majority of the communications was over land mobile radio, and it's primarily voice communications. But when LTE was introduced um, into the market space, so um, cellular, uh, 3G, 4G type uh, technologies, the data speeds and the coverage were greatly enhanced. And so public safety started a journey where they started utilizing cellular for data communications. And you can see that in a police vehicle today. They got cameras, they got PCs. What that's done for the first first responder community is they have more access to real-time information, which makes them safer or, or more productive. And so over the last 10, 12 years, public safety has made a huge investment in addition to the investments they've done in LMR, right? So this is a plus up. They spent more money um, on, on these types of applications that write over the cellular network to basically um, give, give their first responders access to this type of information in the field. And that, that transformation has happened over the last 10 or, or 12 years. So now as we look forward, right, and, and a lot of companies, by the way, uh, were, were started and, and have been very successful in that field. Um, it, it created an entirely new market space um, that supported a, a whole host of companies. But if you look forward in the market space, you say, what's that next wave of public safety communications? And we believe um, at BK, the next wave in, in public safety communications is when that first responder, when he steps out of his vehicle. So when he steps out of his vehicle, what does he have? He has his, hopefully a BK radio, that's his primary source of communications. If he's law enforcement, he has a body cam. That's pretty typical today. But what we're finding is, is that he's also carrying a smartphone. And that smartphone is either uh, provided, uh, government provided to him, or his personal cell phone. And so if you think about what cellular has done to provide real-time information to the first responder when he's in his vehicle, we believe the smartphone will give him that same ability or a similar ability when he steps out of the vehicle. And so our thesis is, is that um, if we focus in on software applications that could sit on top of a, on a standard smartphone that the officer could carry, and those applications make him either safer or make him more efficient, uh, that's going to open up a whole new market. Now, there's no, there's no proof of that, um, but we believe that is the next big wave. Uh, there are no real players in this space that are that are dominating because it's a brand new space. So everyone is kind of equal at it. And, um, you know, our thought is, is, you know, we, we need to think of some ideas because it's software. We need to put those ideas uh, or submit them for patent protection. And we need to, to launch some ideas and, and see what the feedback is. And, you know, SaaS business is not something you, you achieve overnight. Um, and this is certainly not going to make a, a dent in our 2025 revenue uh, of $100 million, which is what we said. That's all on the 5000 and the 9000 But when we look forward between 2025 and 2030, and we start looking at the shape of the company, if some of these ideas that we have start to materialize and gain, gain traction, it can change the trajectory of the company quite, quite radically. And so we just felt like it was worth the investment, right? 
um, spend a little bit of money. Um, there's a whole new space here. And if we, uh, if we get lucky a little bit and we land on some ideas, um, we could, we could really change the company. So that was the thought process. Very good. You know, John, another question I have for you, you know, when looking at, at the, uh, at, at your market, at the, uh, at the LMR market, who's, who's the, who's the elephant? You know, I, I, forgive me for, you know, I apologize to anybody who knows the BKTI story and the R, the LMR market much better than me. So I apologize. But in your opinion, who's the elephant and how do you continue to eke away at their share of the market right now? No, I, I think that's an excellent question, Bobby. So um, Motorola Communications has is as old, if not older than we are. Um, they're $10 billion company worldwide focusing on public safety communications. Um, they own about 70% of the market here in the U.S. So they're definitely the the the, the elephant in the room, as you said. Um, yeah, so when we were when we were focused on wildland fire, we had this technology, we had this advantage, um, we had this advantage, and it's very difficult for even Motorola to come in and and kind of take market from us because of those things. Uh, but it's a pretty small piece of the overall market. Now we want to go reverse, right? We want to go see if we can start taking some of the market share, and we have, right? On the five thousand, it's shown that we can take some market share. The nine thousand, completely different story. Now you're talking about getting into more of their mainstream um, uh, products. And and uh, I'm sure that they're not going to be overly happy if we're too successful. That, that's true. Um, Motorola is very, very strong in, in the urban centers. Uh, I look at the market in into multiple tiers. Um, 330 million people in the U.S., first 100 million people, they live in 50 counties in the U.S. I guarantee you they have 50 salespeople plus. Uh, sitting on those customers, and they're pretty much all Motorola customers. It's very difficult to go in and sell a radio. If you take the next tier down, right, the next 100 million people, that's another 200 counties. Um, we may sell some radios to them, but they tend to follow the top 50 counties. It's really in that third tier, right, the next 100 million people. There's 750 counties at that point, and you don't have any direct Motorola salespeople at that point. You have a, a lot of resellers, which we have as well. So you have more of a, a, I would say, a level playing field for sales reach, right? So that's a starting point. The second thing is, is these 750 counties tend to be a little bit more conservative in nature. Money actually matters to them. They don't have the tax base that the top 50 counties have. Uh, today, they're spending about $2,500 for a single band radio, probably for Motorola, right? Mo they're buying Motorola radios. They're spending about $2,500. So here's the interesting point, right? If you ask them, if you could buy a multi-band radio today, would you buy one? Do you have a need for it? And they say, absolutely. We would outfit everyone with multi-band radios. And you say, well, why don't you buy them? We just can't afford to spend five or eight thousand dollars on a multi-band radio from from Motorola or L3 Harris. This is it's not that we don't have a requirement. We just don't have the budget to outfit everyone with a multi-band radio. And so that's where our target is: is looking at those customers. There's a clear need in the tier three market for multi-band radios. That's what they really need. They just can't afford it. And so our strategy has been to position the BKR 
9000 at the same price point as a single band Motorola radio, which is that $2,500. And so we'll be visiting these customers and we have been visiting these customers and basically showing them that says, look, you could buy, you can continue to buy from our competitor um, or you can have a look at our radio and it does what you actually need it to do, but at, at the same price that you're paying today. That's the, that story seems to be resonating. And I'm not saying that we're going to capture 100% of that tier three market, but I, I certainly believe that we'll capture enough business to get to our $100 million target by 2025. For sure. And I mean, I you, you know, I'm you can see that chart in business school, right? Where you're trying to compete with that larger competitor and, you know, you're like, okay, well, we're going to offer more for our radio or there's going to be more functionality, but we're going to do it at the same price. You know, you just, you make it a no brainer for them. Yeah. And that functionality, the key with first responders, because it's not so much about price, right? I mean, they have to have the budget for it, obviously. Right. But they're not as price conscious. Um, It's about requirements. Right. And, and like I said, the single band radio works fine in their own county on their own system, but first responders don't stay within their own county. You know, law enforcement crosses county lines. Fire trucks respond across county lines for 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 uh, interoperability, for the ability to support. And it's not unusual if you have an incident where you may have um, responders from three or four different counties responding to to an incident in in one specific county the problem that they have today is when they cross those lines unless they're they're using the same uh frequency band same technology they can't communicate so one one question on that front is do you have ip protecting that technology because what's stopping motorola all right bk is coming in they're 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 scooping up some of our clients with the the multi-band like all right let's just put that functionality in there maybe upchart a little bit you know, and, and, you know, get rid of them, you know, like what, what's, what's stopping Motorola from saying like, all right, well, let's come out with our own multi-band functionality and just, you know, we'll keep it at that same price too, in order to keep these guys out. And then we'll just raise it, a, you know, a year from now. Yeah. So Motorola's had multi-band technology for five, six, seven years. So they've had it, right. They just sell it at five to $8,000 a radio, right. So here's the problem, right? I go in and sell one radio for $2,500. They're not going to price match me. I can sell 10 radios for $2,500. They're not going to price match me. There is a point at which I'm taking enough market share that perhaps they're going to start looking at reducing their prices. But they sell the lion's share of their multiband radios are in the tier one and tier two markets. So if they lower their price, they lower their price across the board. And that's I would have to take a huge amount of market share f- from them before they would even consider dropping the price because it, it once they price match me, then they have to price match it across the board and they have more money to lose uh, than, than the total value of our company. I mean, it's- I was just, gonna say at that point, they'll just yeah. buy you, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it, yeah, and I'm happy to have that conversation, you know, if they, you know, I, 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 they are very tough and I don't want to underestimate, I don't, I think people understand how hard it is to go against uh, the elephant in the room or the 800 pound gorilla. Um, we're taking a very simple approach. We're very focused on this and it's, it's all about need and, and staying within their budget 
And the 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 inhibitor that prevents L3 Harris has one, Motorola, both of these guys, they sell these radios, they need to sell these radios at that five to eight to, to support their overall business structure. And they just they can't afford to sell it at a lower price because they just lose too much uh, profit. It's very it would hurt them dramatically. And so uh, I, I think that's a, a nice niche for us to grow our business. We'll take a we'll take a little bit of market share and 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 grow our business to that hundred million dollar mark by twenty twenty five. Very good. All right, so you know I'm going to get into some questions that I I like to ask uh, everybody on here. You know, the first one being, you know, like I said, you you just presented in Vegas. You know, you did this great uh, fireside with Scott Weiss from Semco. You know, so some folks got to see the presentation there. I'm sure they've seen. You know, folks even listening in who may have some familiarity, but. What would you say investors, even after they they get it, they're like, okay, you know, I get what BK is up to. You know, what do investors still maybe get confused about when thinking about BK technologies? Maybe some frequently asked questions we can uh, answer here. Yeah, well, I think the the biggest confusion is they look at BK in the past, right? If you look in the past, we've been a stagnant company, publicly traded for 20, 25 years, which is confusing. Um, and so they don't, they don't, quite understand or maybe they they understand but maybe don't believe the inflection point that's happening in the company right um and so i say to them that this inflection point point has not been something that was done overnight we have five years of r d spend behind us um, we have one proven product that's shown that we can take market share so it proves out the thesis that if we build a better product that's more more appealing to the broader market, we can actually sell to to the broader market. The nine thousand is the is the key trigger because it it, it represents eighty five percent of that overall market. Again, I'm I'm not looking at competing against the dog head to head. Let's let's be very strategic about it, and I don't need to to get to one hundred million dollars. I think once I explain that um, to investors, they get it. And they're like, okay, I, I understand why you are now different than you were five years ago. Very good. And then uh, another question that, again, I ask everybody on here, you know, in your opinion, what would you say are the company's downside risks? Like what, what, what stops, what, what could, you know, yeah. you have, you have your stated goal of hundred million by 2025, you know, what, what comes in the way of, of attaining that goal other than execution risk that that's already a given. Let's, let's say outside of that. Yeah. What keeps me up at night, right? Pretty much. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, it was an easy answer last year um, with the supply chain issues, you know, uh, getting the, the 9,000 development for those uh, investors who have been tracking us, they know that's been a while in, in development. Um, that's been a huge relief, right? To be able to get that radio approved by the government uh, and now start shipping radios. And customers, when they put it in their hand, they they look at it and with, with like anything you buy, right? You put it in your hand, you look at it, you feel it. And if it looks good and it feels good, then you'll mentally you're like, okay, this is something I'd be willing to buy. You know, what's the cost? And you start digging into it a little bit more. But if it's something that's that's not appealing, doesn't look good, doesn't feel good, doesn't matter what price it is, right? You just kind of pass on it. One of the things I will say with the nine thousand is that everyone who's put one in their hand 
has said, this is a nice radio. It looks good and it feels good. And that's to me is half the battle of making a sale. So, you know, I, I would say I'm extremely encouraged now that the radio is shipping. I'm extremely encouraged with the feedback we're getting from the customers. Um, and so uh, to be honest with you, I, I don't lose too much sleep these days. Uh, we're still working very hard to get the costs out of our, our of our core product um, uh, radios. And that's, that's a lot of work. Um, and we're still very focused on that. But in terms of the prospects of, of growing the business and the success of the 9,000, I think we've seen and heard enough to say that we have something here. Very good. You know, another question that I, I like to ask everybody on here is, and I, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, you know, considering everything that happened in 2022. And, and obviously since you came in as CEO in July, 2021, you know, what would you say has been a, a challenge thus far in your, in, in your tenure that you experienced and then have, you know, at least work towards overcoming. Yeah. Besides the supply chain, the global supply chain meltdown, yeah, which right. by the way, was a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, that, I almost wanted to throw that one out because everybody is like, okay, supply chain was yeah. probably a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think I, I, uh, I came in at a great time. I mean, if you took that one year out of the pit picture, right. I would be one year in, not two years in, it was almost like a, a year or a year and a half of lost uh, opportunity. Uh, we had to focus internally on the business, but if you if you look at where we are as a company, I, I don't think I could have come in at a better time. Um, we had raised a ton of money just previously. The board is very supportive of of really trying to make this company something right. Either uh, grow it so that we become you know as part of the indexes uh, with a with a decent sized market cap, and you do that organically or or through acquisition. Or you do things that make you so attractive, right? That that you could be acquired and and raise that uh, shareholder value. So I I think that we are very focused in in either of those tracks. The things that we're doing fundamentally to improve our profitability and the sales of the nine thousand. I think you'll start seeing. I I believe that the target we have said in twenty twenty five hundred million dollars and twenty million dollars in EBITDA. That's a pretty substantial target. Uh, for 2025, but if if we actually achieve that, then you're you're generating enough cash that you can do a number of different things at that point, um, and so that's what's exciting to me um, as I as we look forward. I, I think that uh, the timing for the company is is really 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 good. All right, so my final question for you today, you know, you you said uh, looking out to 2025, the stated goal 100 million. You know, from what you can tell us, and in your opinion, where do you want to see the company even beyond that? And what would you say are those additional inflection points that'll get you there? Yeah, I, I, that's a great, another great question, right? I mean, I think the path to 2025 is clear for us. And I think the major hurdle, which was the the launch of the, of the 9000 is behind us. And, and so it's not, not a given, right, to go sell these radios. Uh, but we've proven at least with the 5000 that we could take market share and we're going to remain focused to get to that $100 million. I think as I look forward from 25 to, to 30, right, the question really is, is what do we want to be as a company? Do we want to continue to be uh, focused exclusively on hardware or do we want to expand our horizon? And that's really why 
we launched the SaaS business. And we, when you think about when we, when we launched it, right, it was in February of, um, of uh, 2022, right? Not the best time to do it. Uh, but the board said that we think that's a good idea for us to start um, looking at software and public safety communications, uh, that whole evolving market of, of public safety applications on smartphones. That takes a long time right to 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 get in especially since there's no clear answers on what that's going to look like and so we started the the business unit in uh, february of 22 we hired a general manager from l3 harris a gentleman named uh, james teal who had already built a small SaaS business inside of l3 harris and we brought him on board and then of course we've launched our first product um, interop one so I would say it's still TBD, right? Um, are we good enough? Uh, do we have good enough ideas that we can protect via patents? Are these ideas material enough that customers will adopt adopt these features and capabilities? That's still due to be determined. But the fact is, is that we are investing a little bit of money in this space because um, we think the opportunity between twenty five and thirty could be could be dramatic. If we are, if we're on the right path, and certainly by 2025, we'll have a good view on that. Now, this says nothing for our core business, right? I mean, at the end of the day, that business is going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to generate cash, uh, but it would be good to put that cash to work somewhere. And we think uh, software applications on smartphones is a good place to to put that to put that money to work. All right. I think we're there. John, thank you so much. Where can our audience go and find more information on BK Technologies? Yeah, you can go visit us at uh, bktechnologies.com. Visit our investors portion of our website. Um, and if you wanted to to just trial our, our first software off offering, it's a product called Interop One. It's a cell phone push to talk over cellular service. You can get a free trial. Just go to interop1.com and sign up for a free trial and you can try it out. Very cool. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me today. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party product services or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.